0: Welcome everybody. It's great, to, it's great to be here. I've been out and about quite a bit this autumn and um, I was in the worship time last Sunday here and I just was so touched by being in this church. It's such a wonderful, wonderful place to be. So encouraging to be in the presence of God's people but not just anywhere but here with you you guys here. It was just so special. It really came across to me. And it was so encouraging, John and Betsy, to be here on Dedication of Jewel, which that's that's brilliant. All right, I'm going to read this passage. And then um, you might wonder why I read the passage after a while, because I will get to it later. But it, it requires a little bit of unpacking as to how we got there. And the passage is John 21... And we're going from verses, uh, we're going 1 to 17. If you haven't got a Bible, not to worry, the words will come up as you can see on the screen. If you have got a Bible, open it. Because uh, it's always helpful to know your way around your Bible and to know where things are. And you know, you can even write in your Bible at things that come out and stand out to you. It's really helpful. Right, John 21, verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. Why the two others are not named, I don't know. But I'm not going to dwell on it. And I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them. Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net and because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter. It's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say. It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment round him. For he had taken it off. And jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat. Towing the net full of fish. For they are not far from shore. About a hundred meters. When they landed they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Uh, Well, today is the last but one of our series on transformed. And uh, throughout the series, we've looked at at people who've encountered Jesus and subsequently their lives have been transformed. And in in actual fairness, we've we've covered real people. I, I would go, ordinary people. We've covered their lives, uh, moments in their lives where we've seen despair transformed and disappointment transformed, transforming fear and doubt. We've seen all these things, and it's it's a recognition that all of us have struggles in life, and that we have failed in various ways. And so today is about transforming failure, that's today. Because we are in an, we're imperfect people, uh, that we live in an imperfect world, failure is what we all experience, no one is exempt. And today, we're just gonna have a look at this stunning example of overcoming failure in the life of one of Jesus' closest disciples. The reason we're doing it that is because your future is greater than your failure. And if you have a notebook and you write that, your future is greater than your failure. You just write that down. Your future is greater than your failure. So I wonder if you've ever done something in your life you so wish that if you had the chance... You could go through that moment all over again. Now I'm not talking about a mistake. I was, um, I was uh, always remembered this goalkeeper who um, was holding the ball near his goal, and um, he went to throw the ball out to one of his players, and instead threw the ball into his own net. I mean, I don't know how he lived with that. But wherever he went, the crowd would sing, Give us a goal, Gary. Give us a goal, Gary. It was all the more painful because that was the team that I supported and still do. So actually, I'm not talking about mistakes. And that, that would have stayed with him. Actually, I'm talking about personal failure. Perhaps, uh, so on a serious note, perhaps it was perhaps an argument that got out of hand. You know, tempers flared. And then things got said that should never have been said. Uh, Perhaps, you know, words ill-used. We know they can ruin relationships. They can destroy friendships. Or perhaps it was an occasion that you were away from home. It was a work's do. Maybe it was a conference that you went on. And things got out of hand. And now you wish. You could have that moment. All over again and. Change all the consequences. That followed that event. Or. Perhaps it's a financial failure. Impulsive spending. You just went on a splurge. I just, just had to do that. And. And. Um, or an overambitious greedy decision in business a failure haunts our lives all over the place and some of us here will still be living with the consequences of that failure and some will wonder am i ever going to get beyond it am i ever going to go beyond that and as you look through the various accounts of jesus's life in In the Gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's quite clear that Peter has a gift. So, Simon Peter has a gift. He has a clear proficiency in saying the wrong things at the wrong time. You're going to follow that in his life. And it's the last night, it's the night before Jesus was crucified. And they have this meal together. It's commonly known as the Last Supper. And in Jerusalem, I mean, tension is really high. It's crackling with tension. Jesus has ruffled so many feathers of the religious religious elite, the rulers, religious authorities. You can feel all the tension in the air. And the conversation around the table, uh, it feels it too. And Peter says this. He says to Jesus, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus says to Peter, Before the rooster crows today, you'll deny me three times. And hours later they they Jesus has been arrested. All the disciples have done a runner, no one excluded, and Peter is hovering around in the courtyard. And you can read these in the different um, uh, gospels, the different accounts but he's, he's hovering around in the courtyard and, and it's a courtyard where the religious authorities are actually holding Jesus in one side of the courtyard and Peter's keeping warm by this fire in the middle of the courtyard and a girl comes to him and she looks at him closely and she says hmm this man was with him This man was with him. So she says, this this man was with him. And listen, he says, woman, I I don't know him. I don't know him. And this is not a one-off, by the way. Because three times he denies that he ever knew Jesus. And on the last occasion, he vehemently, it's it's a sense of anger. He angrily says, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then the rooster crows. And he can't turn the clock back. And it's over. And it says in Luke's gospel that Jesus looked across the courtyard. And Peter walks away. And it says he wept bitterly. Sobbed and sobbed and sobbed. Uh, That's Peter's story. There'll be others in this room. And I wonder what yours is. Failure is an experience that's common to all of us. No one's exempt. and, And we find this man at his lowest point. And yet, here's the thing. In a couple of months, you'll find this man proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And that Jesus was the son of God publicly in front of thousands of people. So, you know, there's two places I want to go today. I want to look at one, and this is just briefly, reasons for personal failure. And secondly, how to overcome personal failure. So I'm just going to draw out a couple of reasons. I know there are others, uh, time doesn't permit. But the first one is this. We fail because we overestimate ourselves. I mean, Peter is so sure of himself And that his loyalty was better than anyone else. He says, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. You know, Peter sets himself up above his disciples. And he says, basically, basically saying, they might fail you, but I won't. That's, That's what he's saying. Peter thought he knew himself better than Jesus. And he asserts his passionate support of Jesus, even when Jesus tells him it isn't going to happen. One church leader asked his sons what they thought was his main strength. And they said, confidence. Your main strength, dad, it's confidence. And he said, what's my weakness? And as quick as a flash, they said, overconfidence. Overconfidence. <laughs> <laughs> Many businesses have failed because people thought they couldn't fail marriages have unraveled because one spouse thought that they could handle a particular relationship you don't friendship it's just at arm's length and someone at work someone socially someone they could flirt a little with beware of thinking this could never happen to you please hear that beware of thinking this could never happen to you I've heard people say, I would never be tempted to betray my marriage. You don't know what you would be tempted to do, given the right circumstances. Beware of that, my friends. Don't you fall into the trap of overestimating yourself. In the letter to Corinthians, it says, So if you think you are standing firm, be careful you do not fail. That's written to Christians. It's our successes that can lead us to failure. We tend to be careful of our weaknesses. We guard them because we're aware of them. But our successes can be unguarded and our downfall. Jesus was tempted immediately after he was baptized. We fail because we overestimate ourselves. When I, um, when I became a Christian, I was about 19, 20 at the time. And um, I, I fell away pretty quick actually. I did... I could never say that Jesus did not exist. I could never say that he was not the Son of God. I just knew it, I knew it, I knew it. So in all my years away, I could never say he wasn't the Son of God. I just knew it. But the thing that shocked me was the things that I did during that time. Things that I seriously thought I would never do. I went to places in my life that I thought I would never go. I used to have lines in the sand. And I would say, I will never be like that. And I will never be like that. In those four or five years, I did all of that and more. Unbelievable. I landed up in shameful situations I never believed I would be. And furthermore, i previously been judgmental to the very person I had now become we fail because we overestimate ourselves Peter thought he knew himself better than Jesus did now the second cause and there are others but just in this case we go to the context of the story of Peter we speak without thinking we put our mouth in motion before we put our mind in gear There's a tendency today, more than any other day that I'm aware of, to express ourselves emotionally rather than rationally. The word outrage is in danger of becoming overused. Actually, to be honest, I am fed up. I could be outraged about the word outrage. It's just, it's becoming overused. We say what we feel which some perceive as a mark of courage. I've heard profoundly people say, actually declare quite proudly, well, I say it as it is. Well, good for you. Children do that. It's displayed as a badge of honor. No, it's not. It's often a mark of immaturity. They say what they think children do. Boy, can it be embarrassing. So... But it's not just children. We're talking about elections at the moment. So in the 2010 general election, Gordon Brown is one moment telling a voter in Rochdale how lovely it is to meet her. And she has a lovely family. And forgetting that his mic is still on, he gets into the car and he turns around to his aide and he said, you should never have put me with that woman. What did she say? Oh, she's just some bigoted woman who used to vote Labour. My friends, it was a disaster. All recorded. All because somebody's mouth let rip before they thought about it. John Major, a previous Prime Minister, was caught on an open mic using a highly derogatory term. In res- I won't tell you what he said. But it was highly derogatory about his own government cabinet. And he uses this term. You can look it up on the internet. A flash of temper. Peter's leading with his mouth. He vehemently denies it. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. He's been with Jesus three years. Not only did Jesus feed multitudes with the boys, pack lunch, walk on water still the storm, miraculous healings, people, Jesus had a depth of knowing people and what they were thinking and what their motives were. Peter should have just got their message. Just zip it. Today this happens all the time. The things that people post on Facebook and Twitter have in some cases cost them their jobs. James Gunn, Director of Guardians of the Galaxy Films was fired by Disney when old tweets of his began to circulate jokes about rape and pedophilia. Job gone. Danny Baker, or fairly recently, joked about Prince Harry and Meghan Merkel's baby with racist implications. And then he said afterwards, it never occurred to him. Exactly. We speak without thinking. There's often a trail, my friends, of broken relationships because of things that have been said. That's why we have two ears and one mouth. We ought to just recognize that. It says an awful lot. We need to listen a little more than we speak. There's a reason sometimes now through things that have been said that children do not speak to their parents. There's a reason that friendships splinter and are torn apart. We speak without thinking. Jesus had every reason to give it all a mess amiss. And it's not just Peter, they all ran that night, no one stood by his side. Jesus could have said, it's just not worth the investment. That's what he could have done. So, what happens when you've blown it? You go back to where you feel safe. You go back to what you know. Simon Peter goes fishing, John 21. He goes back to what he knows. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Even that isn't working. Even fishing isn't working. And then Jesus calls from the shore and he says friends. It's an unusual term actually because it's a slang term. It's, um, it's very informal. It's like, hey guys, hey guys, hey guys, lads, hey, mates. It's that sort of terminology that Jesus uses. Come and have breakfast. Do you know what I love that? This is just a lovely moment here. He's only met with uh, Simon Peter a couple of times. We sense he's never had a chat with him, a discussion about what happened. And he gets this invitation and Peter's over the side of the boat and he puts his garment on and then, just think a moment, it's another fire, it's another fire. And John uses the same term, and it's only used twice. It's a charcoal fire. It literally means charcoal fire. And Jesus takes Peter back to the moment. And they have this discussion. In verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Listen, I don't know whether that's fish or it's the disciples. There's great discussions about all that, but we're not having that today. What's happening here? That's the point. Jesus is coming to heal him from his past, from the failure. He's not going to have that moment that all happened in that courtyard as the no-go area of his life. It's not going to be the unspoken thing that he can never talk to Jesus about. Jesus is not going to let him do that. And this is just a great grace here. He doesn't mention denial. But of course, it's not lost on us that he asks him three times, "Do you love me?" Three times. That's one for every denial, because love is the issue. Do you love me more than your reputation? Do you love me more than what others think about you? Here's my point. Don't minimize your failure. Face it. Hey folks, in this room, whatever you do, don't sweep it under the carpet. Jesus is not allowing that. He's facing him. He's facing him. If you want to get past your failure... Believe me, you have to go through it. There is no shortcut to this. You don't minimize failure. You don't rush to feel better. You don't pretend it never happened. You see, notice the point. Jesus is still there. Whatever your shame, whatever your guilt, whatever your regret, I'm telling you, Jesus is still there. He hasn't moved. Psalm 51 says, a broken, contrite heart you will not despise. And in the end, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. He says, you know all things. In other words, you know me better than I know myself. You know that I love you. Our failures are painful places to go. But God does not abandon us in these places. And Jesus has taken all the initiative. This is not going to be the unsaid thing. That goes on between us, Simon Peter. And sometimes we'll have trigger moments. So when I was talking about my past and I didn't give you any specifics but I have trigger moments, And, I, and, and that moment, those moments of shame come back. And I, I can't stop it. They just sometimes they just come out of the blue. you have an enemy of your soul, my friends, and some of those things they just come out of the blue. Things that you wish you'd never said, you wish you'd never done and places you wish you'd never been to. And suddenly that memory comes straight back. And this I choose to remember at that time the mercy of God and the kindness of God and the forgiveness of God. That's my choice. Not to stay at the point of failure, but I have moved on because of God's mercy and because of his kindness to us. The Bible tells us that Jesus died for my sins. That's why Jesus came. It tells me he laid down his life for his friends. This breakfast tells me that no matter what happens, Jesus is still there for them. If God is for us, what? Who can be against us? Who can be against us? Nothing's changed. And then he says, like the first thing he said to them right at the very first, of it, he says it again follow me follow me focus on following the temptation when we've done those things is to be a spectator to sit to the side you know I'm one of the injured I sit on the bench and watch everybody else, don't do that you are not disqualified don't do that, don't disqualify yourself Jesus says "Okay, let's go again follow me Follow me. God wants you to focus on his mercy and his kindness. He says to Peter, feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my sheep. Peter, nothing's changed. I still have faith in you. I still believe in you. I'm bigger than all your failures. Well, do you believe that's true for you? It's really important for you. It's true for you the invitation hasn't been withdrawn says it again follow me i often hear people say that the church is not for them and they base that on them on their lack of merit their lifestyle they say disqualifies them coming to church i (laughs) I laugh makes me laugh if that was the case this place would be empty absolutely empty It's not over. Your failure is not a death sentence to your future. Your future is greater than your failure. And this is what Jesus does. He restores people. Thomas Edison worked on this crazy invention called the light bulb. And um, the whole team would take 24 hours to put just one bulb together. 24 hours, a whole team. And the story goes that when Edison was finished with one light bulb, he gave it to a young boy helper who nervously carried it up the stairs. Step by step, he cautiously watched his hands, obviously frightened of dropping such a priceless piece of work. You probably guessed it. the poor young fellow dropped the bulb at the top of the stairs it took the entire team of men 24 hours to make another bulb and finally tired and ready for a break Edison was ready to have his bulb carried up the stairs he gave it to the same young boy who dropped the first one and that my friends is a second chance In Ontario, Canada, there's a city that has a riverside park. And alongside the riverside is large, impressive, artistic sculptures. And every year, they drain the river. And they pull out all the debris in the river. And out come all the shopping trolleys, bicycles, tires, car parts... Um, you know, bottles, you, you name it, shovels, toilets, they're all in this river. They're all in this river. And the city calls the sculptors together and each sculptor is given a mound of junk. And they're commissioned to make from it, from the junk, beauty. And they showcase the sculptures along the riverside when they're done and that's what God does with all the junk in our lives he transforms it and he changes it and he gives us a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance oh thank God you do that Lord and he uses this man Peter from the very beginning of the early church and he uses people like Charles Colson Who worked for President Nixon and his illegal actions cost him a prison sentence. He gave his life to Christ, and now there's this amazing work called Prison Fellowship, all because of what God used, all the junk that God used in this man's life and created it for great purposes. What's he going to do in yours? What's he going to do in your life? What's he going to do in your life? Amen.